your Bible. Open up to Exodus chapter number 10. We're picking up in chapter 10. If you remember last week when we spoke about the all nine plagues, we went very quickly. And tonight we were probably going to move very quickly again. However, this next few parts are so good. I don't know if I'm going to be able to um, just preach one sermon out of this section here because it's called the Paschal Lamb. A Paschal Lamb is, oh well, we'll look at it as we get get there. We're going to look at chapter number 10. We're going to look at the last two verses. Verse 28 of chapter number 10 in Exodus. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. On the day that you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. Now the final, the final straw has been met. Pharaoh doesn't want to see Moses' face again because they had just gone through three, they gone through four days of darkness back in verse 21 on to verse 29. That it got dark in Egypt. A darkness that can be felt. Not just, it's a little dark out there. No, it's so dark that you can almost see it looking back at you. It was a dark that could be felt down in your soul. It also was an attack on Ra, which was the Egyptian god at the time. God was showing the Egyptian nation that the Egyptian God of Ra is not the final and true God. That Yahweh, the God of Scripture, or Jehovah is the one true living God. Now we pick up in chapter number 11. As we see that the final break between Pharaoh and Moses is a heated one. He tells him, I don't want to see your face again. In chapter 11, Verse number one, the Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. God is telling Moses here in verse number one is that now that he will let you go, he will drive you away. That God will move in his heart in such a way that he will drive the people away from Egypt. At this point, Pharaoh won't let the people go. But, at, so, but the working of God causes Pharaoh to send the people. Well, how does this apply to you as a believer? I want you to imagine that hard-hearted person you pray for, whoever they are. They may be lost. They may be in a part of a cult. They may be blinded to the things of this world. Keep praying for them because a move and a touch from God will change them dramatically. I am a walking testament of that. I was raised in religion. I knew religion. I know it very well. Work harder. Do more. Give more. But just work your way into heaven. Work your fingers to the bone to please God. And I had a hard heart. I didn't love the people I was around. I didn't love my church. I didn't love my pastor. I believed that I could earn my way into heaven. It's called a works-based gospel. It only took a touch from the Holy Spirit to change me. Like Lazarus laying in a tomb, a dead man. Jesus spoke to him and he lived again. This is the story we see here that Moses was going away from Pharaoh and God speaks to Moses and say, I will call Pharaoh to push the people out of Egypt. If you're in, a, in a, a, an impossible situation, God can intervene. God can move when a, a lawyer can't move. God will move when a therapist can't work it out. God will move when a, a scientist can't explain it. God will work it out. Trust the Lord God Almighty. Verse number 2. Speak now in the oh, did I finish one? Yes. When he lets you go, you will drive you out completely. Verse number two, speak now in the hearing of the people, that they may that they may ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor her, for silver and for gold jewelry. 
At this point, the people of Egypt have gone through nine plagues. And he tells the children of Israel to go to the Egyptian masters and ask for money, ask for gold and silver. And they are so beaten down and they fear the God of the Israelis that they would give them plunder. They're happy to give them something that they would find blessing on their own households. The slaves go to the taskmasters and say, give me silver and give me gold. And they happily give it to them so they would either get blessings or get them away from them. In verse number 3, And the Lord gave people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was a great, was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. They feared Moses at this point. Before Moses was the crazy bearded 80 year old man who came into the court of Pharaoh, and now he's respected and revered by the people of Egypt. But Pharaoh didn't revere him and didn't respect him. But verse 4, So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt. Notice in verse 4, God sent the plagues before. He sent the frogs. He sent the gnats. He sent the locusts. He sent all those things. But in verse 4, He says, I'll go. Have you ever been uh, coming from a church or in a church and they walk out in the foyer and they're talking about, boy, God showed up today, didn't He? I got goosebumps. I got chicken skin. I got the shivers down my back. God really showed up today. No, if God really showed up, He would have consumed every person in that building. Because He is holy, mighty. Even the heavens cannot contain His glory. So these little cliches that we say, we really need to think about what we're saying if God showed up, we will be ruined. An example will be Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. Behold, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train of His robe filled the temple. And he says, I became altogether undone. The Hebrew there means to fall apart. Isaiah fell apart as a dead man. It's like wearing an old t-shirt. Everybody's got an old t-shirt. I do. I wear it around the house. It's got holes in it. My kids hate it. My wife hate it. But I love that old t-shirt. It's comforting. But if you pull off one thread, it will fall apart. It will just come apart with just pulling out one thread. This is what Isaiah is talking about. I saw the Lord and I came undone at the hinges. I fell apart. I died in the presence of a holy God. So if God showed up in church... He will consume us all, for He is holy. But here He shows up in Egypt. He says, I will go to Egypt. I, will go. I won't send any plagues. I will go. I will go out in the midst of Egypt. Many times people don't want a Jesus. They don't want Jesus. And when they don't want Jesus, like we've talked about Sunday, all you're doing is exposing yourself to God with no protection. Jesus... Is an advocate for sinners. But when you die without that protection, you're left in the presence of a holy God. Holy God in heaven. Holy God in hell. It's just in hell. His wrath is there and it's poured out on sinners. Here, God walks among Egypt Himself. And every, born, every firstborn in verse 5 in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle. Why does God do this? You might read it if you weren't a believer and say, man, this God is ruthless that He just walks in and kills. 
then you would assume that the people of Egypt were innocent. They're not innocent. You're not innocent and I'm not innocent. We were born in iniquity. We drink it up like it's water. We run towards depravity. We love sin and so do the people of Egypt. So God shows them that He is God. And, his, and even Scripture tells us that a sparrow doesn't fall from the sky without His, his permission. He's showing Egypt that He is God and He reigns. What he's doing is attacking Pharaoh who believes that he is a deity. Pharaoh believes that he is a God reincarnated. That Pharaoh is a God and when he dies, his son will be a God as well. His firstborn son reincarnated from the son, S-U-N. That he reigns over all the temples of Egypt. That they bow and worship a mortal man named Pharaoh. And God is going to visit Egypt Himself and show them that He is God who opens the womb and opens tombs. This is God. Not only does He kill the firstborn of all the humans, but the firstborn of all the cattle. There's a reason. Because they worship the cattle. The bull God they worship. He slaughters them too to show that He is truly God. What extreme will God go through to show you that He's God? In verse number 6, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there had never been before, nor will there ever be again. Through their cries and through their tears, they will acknowledge He is God. Just like in hell, the sinner lifts his eyes up from the burning flames and he admits that God is sovereign and that they're a rebel. They will not repent in hell. They will not because their hearts are hardened and they hate God all the more. But He's still God and He still reigns. Even from the smoke that comes up from their destruction, God will receive glory. Even though He walks down Main Street, Egypt, and the cattle die and the firstborn die, He is God. You might have a problem with this Bible verses and say, that's not right. Innocent people. Did you know outside the ark when Noah landed on the ark. Don't say it in the Bible. But can you imagine outside the ark on that pitch in the wood, there were claw marks from people who wanted to get in the ark, who were dying. Children, men, women, they were all not innocent. They were guilty of the wrath of God. But God chose to save Noah. And that doesn't make God a monster. That makes Him a hero because Noah deserved to die too. But He decided to save Noah. That makes Him merciful. The fact that you're here tonight and you love Jesus proves that God is merciful. And He loves sinners. Oh, that's good to me. That He loves sinners. That He showed mercy upon me when I blatantly rebelled against Him. Shook my fist up Him, spit in His face, and danced at the gate of hell. But He showed mercy to me. Amen, somebody. And then there will be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, verse 6, as there had never been and nor will there ever be again. Verse 7, But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that they may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. See here in verse 7, God makes a distinction. We always say that God loves everybody. Even the world says we're all God's children. That's not true. Everybody ain't God's children. Some people belong to the devil. Some people love the devil, want to do what the devil says, and we go walk around saying that we're all God's children. That's not true. I love children, but I really love my children. I love, they have a particular place in my heart. And the same thing is true with God's children. They have a particular place in his heart. That he has favor with them. He loves them and he blesses them. But they're children of adoption. 
that those children didn't earn. You're not born into the family of God. You're born again into the family of God because of the work of God. Amen. Amen. That's good. We'll keep going. But notice he, he distinguishes. God still distinguishes even in the church. There are believers and non-believers. And you really don't know who's who. The Bible says that the tares grow with the wheat. I don't know who's saved in here who's really a believer, but God does. And I'm going to pray for the non-believer and preach to the believer to build your faith. Amen. So there's a distinction. God does make a distinction. In verse number 8, And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all your people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. God already knew that Pharaoh would not listen. Verse 10, Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the people of Israel go out of the land. Now people read verse 10 and they get really scared. God hardened Pharaoh's heart is what it says. I'm not going to spend that. I'm not going to explain that that we can understand. Because He is God. He reigns over everything that He created. There's not one photon or proton or neutron that He doesn't hang over and say, Mine! 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 He rules over all. He made the slave girl and He made Pharaoh. And he does whatever he wants to. There's no one that slaps his head and says, what are you doing? When my children were younger, they would reach for the, 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 the plug for the light socket. And I would smack their hand and tell them to stop and correct them. Who will correct God? Who will tell Him, that's not right, that's not fair. We're putting you on trial. You're not being right. No one. Even in America, we have local magistrates. We have courts. Even, even in America, we have the Supreme Court, the highest court in the land. Who's going to tell them what to do? But there's a court above them. His name is Jesus and He holds court. He reigns forevermore. He is sovereign and He is God. Here it says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Did He not fashion Pharaoh? Did He not make Pharaoh? We've talked about this in um, Romans chapter number 9. Now who are we, old man, to question God? Maybe tonight you're wondering, will God harden my heart? If you're concerned that God would harden your heart, that's a guarantee that you're not hardened. A hardened heart would read that and laugh and walk away and sin and not even care because our hearts are hardened. But if you're concerned tonight, Lord, don't harden my heart. You have a soft heart. You have a conscience. Lord, hold on to me, Lord, because I'm prone to wonder. Jesus, keep me. Hold my hand. Walk around me, Jesus. Hold me. Lord, I, like the 99 that are saved, Lord, I'm that one that wanders off and you leave the 99 to find me. If tonight you're concerned about having a hard heart, well, you can read what it says in Hebrews chapter number 3, the deceitfulness of sin, as it puts a layer of rock and hardness over your heart where you continue to sin habitually. 1 John 3, 4, sin is breaking God's law. If you walk in sin and you continue to sin, your heart is getting harder. How much poison do you like in your drinking? Well, just a little bit. Not enough where you can taste it. It's still poison and it will kill you. Here, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. I've heard the phrase, I don't need help, I can sin good all by myself. 
But we can read in Romans 1, 2, and 3 that God will turn you over to your sin. Whatever that sin is. He says, okay, that's it. And that's sealing your heart for destruction. Don't be that person. Don't be that person who sits in a gospel preaching church week after week hearing what sin is and call to repentance and yet you do not repent. For every time you hear the gospel, your heart grows a little harder until finally you don't feel anything and you can justify your sin. And if anybody comes up to you and try to take the sin from you, you'll defend that sin like it was a rattlesnake you hold close. Get away from this. I, I love this. This is precious to me. This gives me my identity. There are people so shallow that they find their identity and their sexuality and their race and their tax bracket and their nationality. They're that shallow. But we find our identity in Christ. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people of Israel out of the land. Now we'll see the Passover in the next few moments if you'll bear with me. I would like to get to verse 32. I can see it's not going to happen. But we'll look at the, the instruction and look at Christ all through chapter number 12. The Passover that's instituted by God for the children of Israel. Verse number 1 of chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. Notice He instituted this before they get outside of Egypt. Because they will birth a new nation in one day. Egypt will cast out a whole nation that will form from nothing, from slaves. In verse number 2, This month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Once they're set free from Egypt, God is telling these former slaves, you have a new life. Life begins right here when you're free from slavery. Much like the Christian. As we have come out of the darkness of light. As we were slaves to sin. All we wanted to do was sin. But our lives begin new. Yes, we're the same outside. But inside, we're changed and transformed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17-21. We are new creatures with new features. I may look the same, but I'm different. Like Jacob, when he wrestled with the angel, he was touched on the thigh. He was changed, not only by the touch on the thighs, he walked with a limp, but also on the inside, he wrestled with God and walked away. At this point, God is telling the children of Israel, your life begins at this point. You hear phrases all the time, life begins at 30 or 40 or 50, 60, 70. Life begins at 80. They tell you that, but life truly begins once you trust in Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation. Life truly begins then because you're not subject to the culture and anybody else's opinion. Somebody say, you should do this or you should do that. Magazines, and when you walk into the grocery store, they're covered with covers of pages of what men should be and what women should look like and how you should think. Newspapers tell you what you should think. The TV, television, tell you a vision, tell you what to envision, tell you what to think. All our identity is found in culture, but Jesus is truly telling His church what they should be like, how they should act, how they should have relationship with them another love each other like Christ loves the church Amen. so our beginning begins in Christ we don't find our identity in our denomination we don't find it in our occupations what we do for a living we don't find it in our families who we belong to is not how we have our identity 
Our children and our grandchildren aren't our identity. Children and grandchildren make horrible gods. If that's who you live for, you serve little gods. How do I know if you live for those things? Imagine something in your life you could not live without. That's your idol. The thing you thrive and live for. Today, I'm telling you to live for Christ. Let your life begin believing and trusting in Him. Not be chained to the culture, chained to the church and religion, chained to your own mind and imagination. Submit to Christ and Him alone. Be set free. As we continue, tell the congregation in verse 3 of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, this very month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. God is telling each household to have a lamb. He only tells them to get a perfect lamb too here in the rest of the chapter. He says don't get one without flaw. He has to say that because men have a tendency to slight God. As these were herders, they would raise lambs. But they're saying, well, if we're required to bring a lamb, why not give him the one that's lame or the one that's blind or the one with a genetic defect because that one's worth less. But God tells him to bring a lamb without any flaw. A perfect lamb. Because we always find ways to cheat God. We'll find a way to work away a wormhole. Lord, I put $20 in the offering if you don't look at this sin. Lord, I, I, I don't want to go to that church because I don't really like those people and I don't like that preacher. So I'll stay at home and, and sit in my recliner and watch Billy Graham. When Scripture tells you, deny not dissembling together, you're supposed to come and be in an assembly with other believers, rub elbows with other broken people, and walk on a journey together. There's no long rangers in Christianity. Even long ranger had Tonto. Amen, somebody. But God, I'll try to slight you and I'll, I'll work a way around it. You wink at this and I'll do this. We'll work out a deal, God. So God is He's very specific in what kind of lamb to bring. He even works with those who are single and have small households. In verse 4, and if the household is too small for the lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor should take according to the number of persons, according to what each one to eat, and shall make your count for the lamb. In verse 4, even notice he's speaking to households and he's speaking to fathers. Men, bring your children to church. If there's no man in your house, then follow the one true God and serve Him until God puts a man there. And if He doesn't put a man there, trust Him anyway. But I'm speaking mostly to men now. Men, if you lead your household to destruction, God will hold you responsible. He will hold you responsible. Not only are you ruining you, but you're ruining generations behind you. And I don't take it lightly as I speak to men very harshly. The burden is on your back. It's just like on the job. You're the supervisor. And something happens. You didn't do it, but you're responsible. Until your children are old enough to live on their own, live outside the, the, the confines of your house, have your children, your spouse, here at church, hearing the Word of the Lord. And now for those who are too small, you're not to be a recluse. You're not to be off on your own. You're not to be off on your own living out your religion on an island alone. He says to gather with the nearest person. Gather with the nearest believer. Gather with them. 
In verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish. A year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Notice if there was not a lamb, you can take a kid. If you didn't have a lamb, there was always an atonement that was supplied for each family and each household. In verse 6, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lamb at twilight. Four days. They begin this on the 10th and for four days they have a lamb in their house with them. Almost like a pet. I want you to imagine the head of the household bringing this lamb into their family. The children run with this lamb. They might even name the lamb. They get emotionally attached to this lamb. Children get emotionally attached to nearly anything. I got one that's attached to a rag. He calls it Moo Moo. He loves that rag. It's just a, a blanket. But here, the father brings in the lamb. It frolics with them in the yard. It's a year old. They play together. The adults pet the lamb. But in four days, they will slit that lamb's throat. The children will weep. The father's throat will be full of his heart as he slices the throat of that lamb as its blood will flow. The reason God told them to bring the lamb into the household for four days that they get attached is because they're supposed to form a relationship with the lamb. Believer, you're not trying to get the religion. I'm trying to get Christ to you. The form of relationship with Him. You should be moved when you sin because you pierced the hands of the one who saved you. You should be moved and broken and cry tears because you've broken God's commandments and His standards. You should be moved. You should be broken for your sin because it's the very sin that you entertain and love that put Jesus on the cross. Your sin, not your neighbor's sin, not your friend's sin, not the denomination or the nation across the sea's sin. Your sin. It's your sin. Own it. There should be a relationship between you and the Lamb. Weep as they slaughter this Lamb. As they take the knife and they pierce the heart of this Lamb. Weep as they take our Lamb, our Good Shepherd. They drove the nails into His wrists and His feet. Hung Him up on a cross. All to display. For He takes away the sins of the world. The children weep as they slaughter the Lamb at twilight. Twilight means between the two dawns. It's getting dark. And it's daybreak on the brink. The twilight. Josephus, a Jewish historian, said twilight in, in Hebrew would mean around 3 p.m. You might say, well, it ain't 3 o'clock around here, but they worked on a different schedule. It's a different time zone and all that stuff. 3 p.m. was really when it started to get dark. And it just so happened that's the same time in the New Testament that they crucified my Jesus. 3 p.m. At the same time, all across Jerusalem, they were taking the Passover lamb because this is the same exact time the Passover meal when Jesus was hanging on the cross that they slit the throat of the lambs all throughout the city of Jerusalem. As each household got together at the Passover meal, the fathers gathered the children around. As they slit the throat of that lamb, Jesus hung His head and said, It is finished. The curtain was torn in the, the synagogue. 
People like me who were Gentiles were saved because of the sacrifice and the shedding of blood of Jesus Christ at that exact moment. Do you not see that Jesus is the Paschal Lamb? He is the Passover Lamb. At that exact moment, Jesus hung His head, spilled His blood for sinners like me. In verse 7, Then they take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts in the entail of the house in which they eat. Verse 7 tells us that they apply the blood on their house. They use hyssop was a, a, a cleaning agent. It was a branch. They would dip it in the blood and wipe it on the doorposts to show that they were believers in what God has commanded, the blood of the Lamb. Much like the believers who are here today who are saved by the blood of Jesus. Notice they use hyssop. They used a cleaning agent to apply the blood on their doorposts. But we must remember that Jesus' blood is the cleaning agent that cleans us. Amen, somebody. Notice they put it over the doorpost. The door. Didn't Jesus say, I'm the door, the way in? They applied it there that Jesus is the Lamb. Do you not see all of this is a foreshadowing? That Abraham was spoken to by God. He said, through your seed I will bless all the world. He didn't say seeds. He said, one of you that come from you will bless them. And he was talking about Jesus. He was training the people, even in Egypt, that there will be coming one who is the Lamb of God, who will be slain, whose blood will forsake the wrath of God. Boy, this is good. And they were to, in verse 7, they were to eat the lamb. They were to consume the lamb. These are any kind of ordinance put on by Jesus where we are to consume His body. Oh yeah, there He is. It's called communion. We break the bread. His body was broken. Do you not understand? That night in the upper room, they were celebrating Passover. Jesus was re-explaining the Passover meal. He says, the bread is broken, that's my body. The wine that we drank, that's my blood. We consume Him. Oh man, I only got one minute and this is so good. Bear with me. The Israelites stand in verse 7 behind the doorpost with the blood. And they eat and consume. In verse 8, they shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its, its legs and inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and the staff in your hand. And you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Why was He telling them to stand and eat? Have your belt on, sandals on your feet, and then staff in your hand. As you're eating that, that lamb that you knew that Daddy just slayed. The blood was put on the doorpost. You were standing there because you're leaving soon. This is not your home. He was telling each family to be ready to go. Believer, He still tells you that. as The blood of Christ has been, has been applied to your life. But don't hold too tightly to anything that this world has to offer. Have your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, as you're nothing more than a pilgrim passing through. Amen, somebody. 
Do you not see the silhouette of Christ all through these texts? That the Lamb was consumed, that the blood was applied, and that this is the Passover. What is a Passover? God is simply passing over His wrath upon those who believe. Truly believer today, God has passed over you His wrath. He has covered your wrath by the blood of Jesus. In this man you shall eat, your belt fasten, and sandals on your feet. In verse 12, For I will pass through. Notice he says, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Notice in your text it says Lord, L-O-R-D, capitalized. That is translated Yahweh. He said, all you Egyptian gods, you are nothing. I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. He is the one who set the foundations of the earth upon nothing. He is God who spoke and 10,000 million beings took their first breath. He is God. So why do you hang your head so low? Why do you fret, believer? Why do you worry? He is God. Amen. He says, I will execute judgment. I am Yahweh. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood... Let it hang there for a minute when he sees the blood. The Bible says, For there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. There is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. As the angel passes over each house, the presence of the Almighty God who consumes wickedness, he looks at each house and he sees blood and he overpasses it. He overlooks it and he walks on. Is your house drenched in the blood of Jesus today? Are you consuming Christ? Are you standing with your staff in your hand and sandals on your feet? Or are you busy and enamored and captured by other things that glitter and you believe are more valuable? Do you feast on other things other than Christ? Do you feast on gluttony and lust? Pride of life? Do you feast on those things? Do you have the blood applied to your home? But most importantly, do you have your blood, the blood applied to yourself? Are you covered by the blood of Jesus? For those who are not spiritually minded, you might say, that's gross. I can't believe you're talking about putting blood on people. There was one, I was part of one church one time and they actually took all the crosses out of the church because it was offensive. I was on staff. They said, now let's not sing about the blood anymore. Because it's offensive to people. People don't understand. If you don't understand, stand in the pulpit and preach it. Apply right. the blood. Jesus bled on the cross and died for sinners like you and me. The wrath of God is on anyone who does not believe in Christ. But Jesus bled and covered their sins. Trust in Him. Trust in what He accomplished. Trust in Christ. Repent of your sins and throw them down. How do I know if you repented today? Because that's a sin you don't do anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm changed. A sin that's repented of is one that you don't go back to. And you don't use a grace card to keep sinning. You pull it out of your wallet and say, I got grace. God's going to cover it. And you keep on sinning. That's just your heart getting harder and harder. 
The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses in verse 13 where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. There will be a day. Hebrews chapter number 4, verse 31. There will be a day when we stand before God and all of the, all of the books will be open. And you will deserve the wrath of God. But He will pass over you because of the blood of Jesus. Today, I'm pleading with you. I'm asking you. I'm crying to you. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. He is the only way to get to heaven. I know they don't preach like this no more in some churches. I know it's considered old-fashioned. But the old-fashioned way is the true way. For Jesus died for sinners like me. I could tell you how good of a person you are and how cutesy you are. I even can use those phrases that some people say, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on that refrigerator. No, I'm not going to tell you any of that. I'm going to tell you that Jesus died for sinners and you qualify. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. Let us bow our heads and trust in Him. Dear Father, I pray tonight that these words don't fall on deaf ears. I pray tonight that... Lord, that You will use the jackhammer of the gospel and go through layers of rock that people will repent of their sins, repent of their, their rebellion, repent of their gluttony and their lying, repent of their homosexuality, repent of their lusting, the pride of life and their promiscuousness. Lord, they repent, repent of their idol worship, repent of fashioning a God in their own mind. Dear Lord, I pray that You'll forgive sinners like me. Lord, I know that I'm not perfect and I know I fail constantly. And I'm thankful for grace. I'm thankful for you allowing me to come into the courts of your holy temple to preach the good news of the gospel. Lord, I'm fallible. I'm weak. But Lord, you use broken people like me to communicate your message to other broken people. Lord, I'm thankful for the blood that I'll always apply. I don't always lead my family to grace and the cross. But Lord, I pray with your power and your strength, I'll be able to. For Lord, even in the Scriptures, you hardened Pharaoh's heart, but truly, you have softened mine. Lord, you chose me because I truly would never chose you. I wasn't looking for you. Lord, you came looking for me. So Lord, I'm thankful. Lord, I pray that you'll be with our people as we walk outside of these doors and we ponder the greatness of God and how we can apply this blood that was shed by Jesus Christ and our relationship with Christ, our own personal relationship with Jesus. Not a religion, not a philosophy, not an idea, but with the actual relationship with Jesus Christ. So Father, be with us as we walk outside these doors to tell someone how we've been redeemed, reprieved, and set free by the work and the power of Almighty God. In your most precious name we pray.